All right. Obviously, this morning, we are continuing our journey through the seven churches of Revelation from chapters 2 and 3. We've looked at Ephesus, the fundamentalist, hard-working, doctrinally pure church that had no love. Then we looked at Smyrna, the faithful, persecuted church that brought nothing but their faith, and they were praised by Jesus. Last week, we looked at Pergamum, the, the passionate church, faithful in sharing Jesus, but who had no biblical discernment. Every week, I give you the summary from the week before, from Kevin DeYoung's book, Why We're Not Emergent, and this is what he says about Pergamum. Pergamum was your ungrounded youth movement church. They were faithful, passionate witnesses, but they had compromised with the world and accommodated to their sexual, immoral, and idolatrous culture. They were witnessing, but undiscerning. To them and to us, Jesus says, discern. So, so far, our three marks of a great church that we have taken from these letters are love, faith, and discernment. Okay, so they want to be markers of us being a great church. We'd be loving, faithful, and discerning. This week we're up to uh, Thyatira from Revelation 2, 18 to 29. If you have your Bible with you, Revelation 2, 18 through to 29. Uh, and I'm going to read that passage out now. Revelation 2, 18 to 29. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I'm not putting any burden, other burden on you. Only hold to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Bit of a long one, isn't it? Well, one commentator actually wrote this about this particular letter. The letter to Thyatira is the longest and most difficult of the seven letters, and it's addressed to the least known, least important, and least remarkable of the cities. That's a good introduction, isn't it? Right? So the longest and most complicated to the least remarkable, least known of the cities addressed to. What we do know about this city is that under Roman rule, it became a major trade city. 
we can read about wool workers, linen workers, dyers, leather workers, tanners, potters, bakers, slave traders, bronze smiths, and Lydia from Acts 16 is from Thyatira and she is a seller of purple goods. So basically this church is in an absolute growing trade city. It's a younger city, a place where you can start out and make some money in a trade. It's also, of course, got the normal kind of Roman imperial cult happening, but not to the extent of some of the other cities that we've looked at. As we move into our uh, passage, what we see straight away is the church is praised for two foundational elements of Christianity, and it's straight away linked. The two foundational elements of our Christianity should then have an outworking, which is what we see in our passage itself. I know your works, your love and faithfulness. What do love and faithfulness create? Service and endurance. So this is actually what we see right here, what the church is actually praised for. Love, faithfulness, service and endurance. Uh, tell me, church, if Jesus was to describe Bundaberg Bible Church and he said, let me tell you about that church, they're marked by love, faithfulness, good works and endurance, would we be happy with that? Tell you what, I'd be feeling pretty chuffed. That's quite a, quite a good commendation, isn't it? Like I said, love and faithfulness are essential. They are part of simply being a Christian. They're integral to who we are. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us these three will remain. Faith, hope and love. And love is the greatest of these, right? These are integral to being a Christian, being filled with faith, and love. However, as we see in our passage, and as I mentioned before, if you're a Christian and you are filled with love and you are filled with faith, that's going to have an outworking in your life. It's not like you're filled with love and you're filled with faith and that results in nothing, right? That, that's just inconceivable. If you are filled with love and filled with faith, because that's part of being a Christian, it's going to have an outwork in your life. In this case, your faith and your love is going to work out in endurance and good works. Now, church, we've talked about this before, but good works are essential to your Christian walk. Yeah, I'm just going to mention a couple of verses really quickly, but Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We in this particular church talk a lot about grace. And rightly so. We are saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus, by His grace. He paid the penalty of your sin. He gives you His righteousness, as Steve spoke about. You are saved by Christ and Christ alone. Full stop. However, 
Focusing on the grace of God doesn't exclude the works that we are called to do by God. As we are saved by grace and we are transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next, as we are filled with a growing faith and a growing love, the result of that is a desire to do the good works prepared in advance for you to do. Right, The growing result is you want to do the things God has asked you to do. This is the outworking of the salvation that you have received. Okay, So it's foundational to who we are as Christians that we would then do good works. So this is the challenge that sits before us, church, and this is what this church was praised for. Their love, their faithfulness was evident in their good works, and it was praised by Christ. That tells us, to each of you sitting here this morning, myself included, it's not enough that we say we love Jesus. It's not enough that we're faithful to Jesus. But is your love and faith resulting in a changed life? a changed way of living, a changed way of behaving that will result in the glory of the Father. That's the challenge that we see from this passage. You are required to do good works, not of the law, but of the overflow of your love for God who has saved you. This is what this church had And if you'd rocked up to the church in Thyatira on any given Sunday, you would have loved it. They would have had 40 people invite you over for lunch that very day because they were filled with love and faith and that love and faith resulted in action, which meant you turned up at the church and they were like, man, we just want to get to know you, we want to embrace you, come over to my house and have a feed. Uh, And then they would have started telling you stories about the church and they would have been saying, yeah, this is the way we're caring for people in the church and man, did you hear about this thing that's going on in the community and we're mobilizing to go and help our community because we want to serve them and bring glory to God you would have been welcomed off your socks and you would have seen the love and faith that they've received in action. Amen? Don't we want to be that? We don't want to be the church in Ephesus. Yes, we are doctrinally sound and do nothing. That's not who we want to be. We want to be this church. We want to have love and faith seen in action. And that's the challenge that sits before you and sits before me. Not to be doctrinally sound navel gazers. Doctrinally sound glorifiers of God through the way we love our community. However, that beautiful, welcoming love and faith in action, of course, is not the whole picture. Note the description in verse 18. Now, the term Son of God is used to denote clearly who Christ is. He is God. He has feet of burnished bronze, portraying strength. But importantly in this case, he has eyes of flaming fire. What does eyes of flaming fire mean? 
It means that his gaze penetrates through a facade. It means his eyes burn through to the very core of what we might be hiding or trying to to keep under wraps at church on any given Sunday. There might be this incredible, incredible show, but what sits underneath is what we're looking at here in this particular passage. So, if we look at Revelation 20, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't write the actual notes down. Maybe, Sano, you can go to uh, 20 to 23, put them up there in the words for us. This is what we see underneath. But I have this against you, you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I, give her time, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Keep going. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. Sounds a little less appealing than the previous commendation, doesn't it? What's going on here in this church? Well, Jezebel, probably not this woman's name. We're probably hearkening back here to Jezebel from the Old Testament. So I think Jezebel here was probably a real person who was really infiltrating the church. I think also designed to represent what can happen in many churches when a compromise, particularly sexual compromise, occurs within the church. So this is what we're looking at here in uh, this picture of Jezebel. Now what it means is this. We have a prominent woman in the church, a self-proclaimed prophetess, who is teaching people that sexual immorality doesn't matter. The other problem we have is all of the trades I mentioned earlier, remember I said this is an absolute tradie town? All of the trades mentioned earlier had guilds. And if you belonged to a guild, each guild had its own god. And if you belonged to a trade, you belonged to a guild, and the guild had feasts dedicated to the worship and honouring of your particular trade's god, where you would go potentially engage in sexual immorality and also sacrifice meat to the idol of your particular trade. All right? This is where you're planning your church here in Thyatira, where most of the blokes in your church are tradies and most of them are used to worshipping through sexual immorality and through having feasts dedicated to the god of their trade. That's a tricky situation. So a planter comes in and they convince people to walk away from all of that. You must forsake your gods. You must forsake sexual immorality. You must forsake all of that and have Christ and Christ alone. And then a voice pops up and says, that's really hard. You can have Jesus and you can have all of that as well. Remember, Christ is love. You can have Jesus 
and you don't need to forsake the temple prostitutes. You can have Jesus and you can continue to offer worship of your false gods. The big picture, or how we might look at it today, is of your modern liberal or social gospel church. Big on works, big on love. But there is no mention in this lengthy passage of them sharing their faith or standing firm against persecution, which we've seen in some of the other churches. No mention of them sharing their faith or standing firm against persecution. Why? This church is probably not suffering too much persecution because they've accommodated those who would persecute them. They're worshipping the idols, which if you stood against, you might suffer persecution from. They're probably loved by the world, loved by the community, because they're not taking a stand against them. Right? So we've got love in spades. We've got service in spades. It's a wonderfully welcoming, loving, caring church who will not take a stand against the works of the world. In the balance of grace and truth that every church must hold, they're all grace and no truth. Right? And we see that in churches today. Active in their community. Big on social justice, welfare, charity, loving everybody without question. But they no longer hold people to God's standards. So focused on love and toleration that they won't say homosexuality is sin or that abortion is evil or that people shouldn't live together outside of marriage. They simply won't stand on God's word. We've just got to love people and it's fundamentally wrong. We must stand on truth. Jezebel today could be a person Maybe a woman who declares herself a prophetess, but it could be the society around us trying to convince us that sexual immorality is okay. It could be a a Rob Bell, a, a known teacher who has walked away from the faith and tries to drag people down with him. Whoever it is, they are deceivers in the church. And our text says their punishment is set. It's coming. Don't miss what our passage said. I have given her time to repent. There's always the opportunity to turn away from sin. Repent means I've been living my life in one way and I've been heading in one direction and then I completely turn around and I go God's way only. I turn away from my life. And he says, I've given her time to turn away from sexual immorality. I've given her time to turn away from talking falsely and she hasn't done it. Her judgment is set. Illness and death are coming because they will not repent of their sin. To them, Jesus says, they will pass through great tribulation. They will die unless they repent. There is still opportunity, however, for them to turn from their evil and do what is right. 
Remember what it said in our passage up there? Then all the churches will know. All the churches throughout the ages, every church will know that they will be held accountable for how they live and honour Jesus. The eyes of flaming fire, there they are, I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give according to your works. Right? There's a call from Christ to let our faith and love result in good works but according to the truth of the gospel, according to the biblical commands that Christ has given us. Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Matthew 16.27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Romans 2.6, he will render to each one according to his works. Right? The picture we have here in this church is Christ sees to your heart, to your soul, to your spirit. He knows whether you serve him or not. He knows whether or not your service is done out of love for Christ, or whether it's out of pride and wanting to look flash for other people. Christ sees to the core of who you are and he will treat each person accordingly. Right? Is, this, is this getting across? Everyone's looking at it, it might be the heat, hopefully it's conviction. Right? This is serious. Right? This is the Word of God. Each of you will be held account to what you did or didn't do, according to your works. Yes, we are saved by grace, but as I said, we're saved to good work. As he says in the text, those who listen to them will suffer as well. Those who promote false teaching, those who bring the world into the church, they will pay a price for their ungodliness. And so will those who hold to their teaching. I think it's highly unlikely this woman had any official teaching capacity in the church says she's a self-proclaimed prophetess. Now, this was a person in the church trying to use their influence to lead others astray and was succeeding. Okay, the church has to take a stand against that. Christ will hold her and her followers to account. However, Revelation 2, 24 to 25 Verse 24, oh, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Verse 25, only hold on to what you have until I come. Of course, not everyone in the church has accepted the liberal teaching that was being given by this woman. As I said, Jesus has had good things to say about the church and now he has good things to, about, to say about these people in 
particular. But we must ask ourselves, what does he mean by teaching the deep things of Satan? Well, it's very common for a self-proclaimed expert, a self-proclaimed spiritual leader, a self-proclaimed prophet or prophetess to say they've got hidden things of the Lord to reveal. True? If you're going to listen to somebody trying to get a, a crowd together online, the first thing they're going to tell you is, I've got the secret. Maybe we're talking about the end times, and I've got the secret code. I, I know the date of Jesus' return, right? I've got the information that you don't have. If you just sign up and send me some money, I'll give it to you, right? Uh, or it could be, uh, I've unlocked the secrets to wealth. And if you simply sign up, I will give you the secret hidden biblical code to unlock the wealth that you might now receive, right? There's always this hidden knowledge. And what Christ is doing here is he's actually playing off that fact and saying, they don't share hidden knowledge of me. They share hidden knowledge of Satan. Because that's actually who they're serving. So it's a play on the words themselves to say these false teachers with their false claims are actually giving you the hidden knowledge of Satan and his demands, not Christ. And boy, does that go on to this day. I've seen so many charlatan things online, sometimes in public, and it is clearly the hidden knowledge of Satan, not of Christ. doesn't even attempt to be biblical, doesn't attempt to be in context according to the author's intention. No, no, because it's hidden knowledge revealed to me by the Spirit. Then I can say whatever I like. And Jesus says that is the hidden knowledge of Satan. Here it's really obvious, isn't it? The moment you read, guess what, church? It's okay to practice sexual immorality. Anything out, outside of one man, one woman, married for life, is sexual immorality, right? This is according to Scripture. And anything outside of that is wrong. And it's really obvious in a church when they come up and say, it's okay to do something outside of that. And God's Word says, no, it's not. Okay? So to move outside of that is teaching the things of Satan. And that's the point that Christ is making. Now, you think that would be obvious, but it's not. We could, in this town, walk into churches that will stand up there and tell you these things. Sexual immorality is okay. Right? It happens. And the call is to not be among those who follow. It's a warning to us all. If someone says to you, I have a word from the Lord, my first response to that is, stop speaking. Because you can't tell me it's from the Lord. Now, if you come up to me and say, Sam, I've been praying for you, and I feel like this is something God might be saying, but I recognize that I'm a sinner, and maybe this is from God, and maybe it's not, I can't say for sure, would you like me to share it with you? I will probably say, sure. Because you don't know if it's from God. Whether you had too much meat and your stomach's upset, right? You don't know what's going on because you are not infallible and you are not to say, this is a word from the Lord, right? We cannot say that. 
Does God speak to us? Yes, he can. Can we say emphatically we know that this is 100% the word of the Lord? No, we cannot. Pray that God will speak. Listen for his voice. But recognize you are not the scripture. The scripture is objective truth, it and it alone. Amen? Jesus says, if it's not you, if you're not following, then check out what he says, then I don't ask anything else of you. In other words, stay faithful, church, stay strong, stay filled with love, what he commended them for. Keep doing service of the saints. Keep doing service in the community, he says, and that's it. I don't ask anything else. Right? Love Jesus with everything you've got. Remain faithful against the world. Let it, infl- let it work out in your life in loving good works. And Jesus says, that's all I've got. Not putting anything else on you. Just do it. Live out what the Bible says. Right? That, that's Christ's call. Live it out. That's it. Good job. Then we get to Revelation 22, 26 to 29, just to finish. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. And just as I received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who hears has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ will give authority. We will share in the authority of Christ and he will come and we will reign with him. Note what he says, for those who conquer until the end, who keep working and being faithful and loving until the end. Conquers what? Conquers the enticement of the world. Rejects the false teachers and just stays true to the word of God and holds firm until the end. Really quickly, I saw a movie years ago, and I think it was kind of a kid's movie, and I can't remember what it was, what it was called, or even the context of the movie. But I do remember one line. There's this typical nerdy kid getting bullied by uh, a big athletic jock, an American movie, uh, and it's in like a, a high school corridor, which I believe if you survived that, you must have done well, because every American movie you just beat up on in those corridors. But anyway, um, this bully picks on this kid, Uh, And this kid's response afterwards is, he doesn't realize he's in the middle of the best four years of his life. That's what he says about the bully, right? He doesn't realize he's in the middle of the best four years of his life. In other words, the bully feels like this high school situation will go on forever where he rules the school and can pick on whoever he wants. But this nerdy kid realizes that once they graduate, more than likely, this big bully's going to be working for this nerdy kid, right? This is his point. We feel like this small moment defines the rest of our lives. Christ's point here, church, is this. Be faithful for a little while. Be faithful for a little while. This blip that is your life, it's not even a blip. You think about eternity and try and measure your life against forever. Christ says, be faithful for that blip and you will reign with me forever. Right? Be strong. 
Be faithful. Let your love result in good works. Don't turn aside. Be faithful. And eternity will be with Christ forevermore. The rod of iron is a reference to Psalm 289. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. All right, I just want to mention quickly, the nations will be our heritage. uh, And just to make it clear, I've picked out Ireland. All right, so uh, the nations will be our heritage and I want somewhere cool. uh, So I've got dibs on Ireland. So don't try and muscle in on me. Uh, So the point is, uh, we get to share with Christ in his reign forevermore. He says he will give us a rod of iron uh, and he will give us the morning star. Now, What does that mean? There are countless interpretations and arguments about it, but I think the best one is this. Christ himself is called the morning star. I simply think it's a promise that Christ will give us himself. We will reign with Christ forevermore. And that is the promise for those who remain faithful. Who are filled with the love of Christ, endure and fulfill the good works created in advance for them to do. In conclusion, sometimes the book of Revelation gets a bad rap. Oh, it's too hard to understand, so on and so forth. But the letter of Revelation is really encouraging. Think about what it's saying. You've been doing some things really, really well, and he commends them for it. You're tolerating a false teacher. Stop it. Come back to the Word of God. And if you do, and you keep honouring me, then you will reign with me forever. Right? That's not hard to understand, is it? Love me, be faithful. Don't tolerate false teaching and keep doing the good things. Amen. There's the book of Revelation for you. It's not as hard as we want to make it. So what mark of a great church do we take from Thyatira? Now, I'm going to be different from DeYoung's take that he'll give us next week. I think repentance. As I said earlier, he says, I've given Jezebel time to repent. Even a good church will make mistakes, true? A great church will repent of them, in my opinion. Right? A good church will make mistakes, a great church will repent because Christ gives us that opportunity. Church, if you've been tolerating false teachings of the world in what you listen to online or what you practice in your life, repent. Stop listening or stop doing. And Christ says, I will be your prize and I will reign with you forevermore. That's the promise of the church of Thyatira. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we long to be a church that is truly loving, truly faithful, truly enduring, and truly fulfilling the good works prepared in advance for us to do. And Lord, when you look under the surface, we want to see that all of that is grounded 
in your love and in commitment to honouring your word. Lord, that we would hold to grace and truth. Lord, that we would live out the words of your scriptures. Lord, we are know we are saved by grace through faith. We know it's not of ourselves. We know that you chose us before the foundation of the world and we praise you for that and may we live in love in response to your salvation. Lord, may we take the lessons we see here from these churches and apply them to our own church and live out the lessons you so graciously give. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.